Good afternoon, good evening, dear listener. And uh, we have approached a point in the Odd Job Pod where I think it's fair to say that we need to uh, see what we can do with our little fingers. And uh, as we get started on the Craig era, one that I think we are all going to be very excited about, uh, not least because it's probably some of the freshest in our memory as well. But um, for regular long-time listeners of the Oddshot Pod, I think we've, we've probably not always done a huge amount of Craig, partly because it's, you know, as we've been doing this pod, there have been a, a couple of Craig films released, and we've, yeah, we, we've kind of felt, you know, it's fresh. We go back and, and dig through the back castle, but we've done that. And we're now up to the, the freshest cuts of the more, the, uh, the Daniel Craig era. Uh, we've moved from Pierce Brosnan's canon. And uh, so we are going to be starting from Casino Royale, which I think, yeah, again, long-time listeners will hear a somewhat sigh occasionally when we realise the next Bond film. Not this one. We are ready. Are you ready to arm yourself? No one else here would save you. Yes, we are going to spend the next hour talking Casino Royale. So, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it in a while, just go back and watch it, because I think you'll, you'll probably enjoy a lot from this. As ever, I am joined by Terry DeFellin. Hello, Terry. Um, so it's the 2006 Daniel Craig version of Casino Royale we're doing. Uh, were, were, you, were you watching the 67 one? So, so it, it's not the 67 one. So, so this this herb output that's going on in the background is 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 inappropriate. Is that what you're saying? Uh, might might well ah. be. Okay, you, you you introduce Graham, and I'll be back in a minute. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Graham Graham Sibley is my other guest. Graham, we we may have problems here. You know. Um, you know. No, no, no problems at all. Very at all. No problems at all. <laughs> <laughs> So, what did David Niven bring to <laughs> <laughs> Hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. I'm only pulling your leg. I'm We're pulling your leg, listeners. Yeah. Not about the t- her, not about the hell output though. That's totally going on right now. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> oh god, everywhere can benefit from a bit of herp Albert. <laughs> um, but yes, we, we had you. We had my have had you going there. For a bit, like we've never done the '67 Casino Royale. Maybe, we, maybe we should. Yeah, we we definitely will. We should. Yeah, we yeah. should. We should. Yes. Now that's a long time since I've seen that one, but uh, not such a long time since I've seen this one. So let's set the scene a little bit. Uh, so Graham, I'll, I'll be coming to you first, but just indulge me in a bit of scene setting. We've we've come off the back of Die Another Day, probably uh, one of those that could. Uh, one of those occasional films that could have really proved terminal for the franchise. Every now and then there's one that comes along where they, they get a bit panicked. We've uh, we've said goodbye to Pierce Brosnan, um, who we all agree was a fine Bond, albeit some films which were slightly more ropey than others. Um, Craig has not necessarily been universally loved as a, as a public choice. There's been a fair bit of criticism. And uh, then we get this. We get a black and white, we get a monochrome start and a pretty brutal killing. And, you know, take us back to, to 2006, Graham, as you sat down and watched the, you know, the opening few minutes of uh, the first film of the Craig era. Uh, where was your head at and, and, and what did you think from those and before we got into those uh, those credits? Where's the gun barrel? 
Where's the gun barrel? <laughs> that, yeah, that, but that was that was foremost. That was uh, there's stuff happening before the gun barrel. Um, there's the, I've not seen a gun barrel yet. Please, I haven't seen a gun barrel yet. No, uh, uh, yes, these, these this was a tiny thing that I thought more about after I watched the film. Um, but uh, but yeah, there, there was a jarring nature to say to say to say to say the least when when it starts off there. Um, yeah, you couldn't escape in 2006 the whole thing about Daniel Craig being chosen as Bond, and and the fact that it it was 12 months between him being announced to the film coming out. Um, I can't see them ever doing that again. I think the next time, if they ever announce another Bond, I think it'd probably be about two years before the film actually comes out. Um, but I think at the time, you've got to look at the fact that there was a lot of uh, people who, who said, no, this isn't Bond, blah, 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 blah. This isn't Bond. Not my Bond, I think. There, there, there was lots of websites because people set up websites at the time um, to, to protest about this sort of thing because social media didn't really exist. Um, Facebook was there, but it was only a few people were using it. Twitter was, it was just a more innocent born. time. It was a far more innocent time, Gary. It really was, um, in a certain respects. In other respects, it was it was much more guilty. Um, but but let's not go into that. Um, yeah, the the whole thing about Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig had been in 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 Layer Cake and not a lot else. Uh, people might say, "Well, he was in Our Friends in the North." Yeah, no one watched that. No one watched that until he got famous. I mean, honestly, a few people. All right, a few people watched it. A few people who stay up late and and watch BBC Two because they they feel like they should. Um, but yes, yeah, okay. Our Friends in the North. He was in that as well. Um, but here he comes. This this short blonde guy uh and he's gonna be james bond and and they would say he's not dark and not dark enough not not tall dark and handsome. he's not tall enough he's not dark enough he's not handsome enough uh, which you think are at least one of those would be required for uh for a, a james bond and and there this guy comes along and proves you don't need any of those to be a james bond and he and he does it with a plomb and 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 he does it fantastically. And to start off in this sort of like this this gritty noir opening, taking you right back to, to the original source. And this is what Casino Royale really does do to win, is because it is Casino Royale. It is the book. It is Eon getting their hands on the, this book. This this is more important, I think, than who the bond is in, in, in this. It it is doing something they hadn't done ever since they got hold of the franchise. This was the one book they couldn't do, and and here they are doing it, and doing it so well. Doing it far better than any other adaptation. Probably um, Honor Magic's Secret Service is the only other one that they've done this closely, I think. Um, Alright, Thunderball, but Thunderball was an adapt adaptation of the script, so that doesn't really count. Um, but So the, this, the, this is an update of the book. All right, they play poker instead of Chemin de Fer, but it is the book, it is, and and it works really, really well. And we're going to go through all of the reasons why it works well, uh, from Vesper to Bond himself to the whole setup um, and and how it works so well. Um, but yeah, going back to your original original question there, there, Gary, how did I feel in two thousand and six? I felt just about ready for a new Bond, and this really ticked all the boxes. It's yeah. There's, I mean, already there's so much to unpack. But it, again, let's let's just stay with the opening for a minute, Terry. And um, 
you know, when you think of openings when they introduce a new bond, this to me felt deliberately not close, but when you think of, of all the various new bonds that have been introduced, the one that this kind of feels a little bit similar to is the uh, the introduction of Lazen P, because that is such a different opening take of, of any of the other bonds at all. You know, even when you get, you know, you've got Roger, you've got Pierce, you've got, got Tim Dalton as well. And, they're, you know, you, you feel like you're watching a Bond movie. And this one, you can't, you know, even now you sit down and watch it and go, I feel like I'm about to watch something potentially a little bit different from what's gone before, but maybe not so different. It, it, it's got that, you know, we, we're not even mucking about before we get into the, um, you know, before we get into the credits. Normally there's there's quite this lovely extended pre-credit scene. We actually talked about how Die Another Day had a, a genuinely quite good um, pre-credit scene here. Nope. It's a, it's a pretty brutal killing, uh, all done in black and white, and then we're launched into the credits before you've even had time to process going, what the hell was that? Um, yeah, ter- Terry, it, it's we talked about how Bond sets out its stall in the first uh, in the opening stanzas of, of a film. Um, this one really set itself out, didn't it? Is to say, hi, remember remember that uh, invisible car? No, we're not having that. Yeah, no, it's definitely a statement opening, isn't it? And it's a very interesting decision, uh, the, 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 the shooting style, because it, it, it's, it's completely, a, it feels like a, a, more like a European noir um, uh, opening sequence rather than, say, a Hollywood noir. The, 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 the position, the pointing down of the cameras and, and, and upwards of the cameras, it's very little of that sequence is filmed sort of like, you know, straight on. They're all from, 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 from top or bottom, top down or bottom up camera angles. Which which makes it almost kind of like it's a little bit more like I don't know, Orson Welles. I'm kind of thinking of, and probably a number of other European directors that I last don't have the film literacy to be able to to to, to say. But this is what it was. This was the approach that they took, which is really interesting choice. And I was watching that and going, why has he? Why have they done it like this? I mean, it, it's very clear that that it's a statement sequence. It's like this is different okay so this is different to 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 the James Bond films that that you've seen before and it's hearkening back to an era that James Bond and a filmmaking style that that James Bond never really did in the movies but I suppose you could thinking on my feet think that it evokes Fleming perhaps a little bit more either way it's a hugely welcome and it's a gorgeous sequence and it adds massively to the violence um, of, of of the fight scene um, and also just the sheer coldness of 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 of, Flem- of Fleming's Bond, and it is Fleming's Bond, uh, and we get all of that within a few minutes. And although it's very different to the opening chapter of the book, The Secret Agent from Casino Royale, it does the same job. It was a short chapter that really laid out the the the, the fundamentals of the character going forward for the reader, and does the same for for the viewer it makes it in no it makes it leaves you in no doubt as to what kind of movie this is going to be what kind of james bond that this is going to be and 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 there's still enough time for you to walk out of the theater if you, if you don't think that this is the kind of thing that you're going to want and and it, it's it's hugely compelling and i love it it's glorious it's glorious to watch and from a person living in 2006 i mean i was massively ready for this kind of james bond film um 
I had I had been weary of the sort of like hijinks, sort of like you know absurdist kind of James Bond movies that we'd seen, and always enjoyed it when they try to nail it back down. I enjoy the Living Daylights, License to Kill for that reason, kind of Goldeneye to an extent as well. And I was so massively ready for them to do this, to take Casino Royale finally and do an authentic rendition of, a, of an Ian Fleming novel and make it an Ian Fleming James Bond. And, that is, and, and, I was, and that's, that was what was most exciting about this movie. I wasn't that fussed about Jack Daniel Craig. I trusted, the, I trusted Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli to cast the role properly. They know James Bond better than any of us. And 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 so that for me was what was the most important about it was that this was was a long overdue reset and I, and it, you know it set the film up fantastically and it was a ride all the way through I, it's a it's a movie that I I love watching even though actually I don't watch it as much as 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 I have other films and of course these days I'm just aching for a stupid hijinks sort of like comic James Bond <laughs> <I've> got, <laughs> but but that's that's my prerogative and that's life. Yes, well, um, Graham. Obviously, there is a, there is probably one name that looms over, looms in the background as we're coming into this film, and that name is Jason Bourne, mm. because we have we're we're in a place where you've got Die Another Day coming out at the same time as the Bourne film, first Bourne film, and you've had other Bourne films as well, and then Paul Greengrass obviously has has done something to the genre, which uh, which has given it a much needed uh, rope to the uh, the sensitive areas, and um, yeah, Jason Bourne, I, I would I would argue probably looms very very large in the rearview mirror of Casino Royale's uh, crew as they are making it. Jason Bourne is really is someone's own idea of what Bond is in a modern in a modern for the late nineties early two thousand sense of 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 it. Um, yeah, Eon has had the James Bond franchise for so long, and other people can only make what they think would Bond Bond be like if they if they if they go, go, grab their get their hands on it. And Jason Bourne was that, and Jason Bourne was an incredibly successful. Uh, franchise uh, and it, it worked really well it, it hit the zeitgeist square on uh, in a time where the whole sort of post 9-11 mo- uh, movement era where the, a lot of the confidence in in sort of like intelligence and spying uh, was out the window this this is this is where does James Bond or any spy genre li- li- exist as an entertainment basically because you, you can't you, you you can't have a, a world where we've been let down by intelligence so much and all of a sudden say, hey, look, come and celebrate a spy because you think, well, where were you guys? First thing that, that, that we had to get over was the, the, the Cold War where, where we ostensibly won, supposedly. And then you've got this, this rather weird period in the 90s when you've got Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. And then you've got all these other people making films, uh, making really great sort of spy genre films, which we've spoken about at length. But of course, Jason Bourne is the one that rises up as the one that we can draw so many cues from for Casino Royale. And I don't know whether or not Barbara Broccoli looked at that film and thought, yeah, I want to find Matt Damon, a British Matt Damon, and, and put him in the role and uh, and see how it goes. I think she had a clear idea of the sort of bond that she wanted. 
And I think it comes out in the fact that, you know, it's not just Jason Bourne. It's also the, the films of Quentin Tarantino. This could be, she could have seen Old Boy and think, all right, I want some, some, some bit of that in, in, in my film. Uh, and I wouldn't put it past her, considering how much the franchise had been looking at, um, at the Far Eastern c- uh, cinema for the last 20, 30 years beforehand, that that could have been a big influence on this film. Um, but yeah, as far as Hollywood is concerned, Jason Bourne, yes, a big one. And of course, that's why I think people like me, Terry and, and yourself even probably lapped it up because we thought, yeah, this is what, what Bond needs, especially after Invisible Car. It's um, it, it's it's again. I, I find always find the context when you come into a new bond so fascinating, and and this is one of them. And obviously, Terry, you said that there's been there were a lot of you know quite deliberately deliberate choices, a few kind of daring choices as as they opened it up. Um, but you do have some continuity um, in there. Obviously, you've got um, Judy Dench being the most obvious one, but then you've also got what I would probably argue is a very very safe pair of hands in the directorial chair. In Martin Campbell, who is somebody who knows his way around the franchise and knows how to make what is still regarded by by some people, uh, and and it's a uh, an opinion they are very welcome to because I think you can make a good argument for the, some people's favourite film in the entire franchise, which is Goldeneye, and you've got him back in the in director's chair. Um, I, I would probably say that's a pretty important decision in in terms of what they've done there, who they've handed the reins to 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 see to usher in this new era. So if you are going to make a new James Bond film that's going to be markedly different to the previous James Bond film, while at the same time still making it an authentic James Bond film, then you need someone who's directed James Bond films before, um, or a James Bond film before. And, and of course, Martin Campbell, yes, directed Goldeneye, a film after the franchise had taken a lengthy break, you know, not too dissimilarly to, to, to Goldeneye. Goldeneye coming up after Licence to Kill, which was a film that we enjoy um, and is a good film, objectively good film, but wasn't necessarily as successful um, somewhat different circumstances with Casino Royale because I think why I know Dino Day has its fans and fair play to them, but it was not necessarily widely received as a classic. It hasn't endured, I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, but nevertheless, the same reason, still a really lengthy gap and a desire for significant change. And Casino Royale, as you've just pointed out, and Graham, under the influence of external factors as well external like the born movies yeah born identity huge influence and stuff like that so so hollywood again driving bond in a certain direction um and so it was he was indeed the safe pair of hands um and and, and i mean he, he did it skillfully it was bravely directed i mean the film is is about construction and reconstruction isn't it uh, it's about rebuilding the franchise. It's a re- it's a proper franchise reboot. It's be- it's starting the James Bond character, beginning his journey as a double O, um, and 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 bringing us and reintroducing us into the fact they build they insert the building blocks of the James Bond franchise and rebuild it for us. There's you can see it in some of the imagery and some of the sequences in the in the film as well. It it, it, it that's what it's about. And so Martin Campbell was 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 a was an ideal choice I think for that. Yeah, you know, Graham. The other thing that that I found. Interesting watching Bond this time around, or Casino Royale, with with a kind of lens of of knowing that I'm going into critiquing it, is that I'm not necessarily sure this was an influence at the time per se, but it's something that's very common in the comic book comic books where you've got more graphic novels where you will get they they decide after a while that they need a complete reset. 
Um, you know, think of, of Batman's had numerous resets in, in comic book era, Frank Miller, Year Zero. There's so much, you know, it's something's very common in there. And, and yes, sort of, you can argue that, you know, Bond resets, resets from, you know, the expectation when you get a different Bond in. But Graham, this isn't just, you know, resetting. This is almost going, right, we're going to we're going to take you right back to the start. We're, we're basically building the Bonds that we want here because of to all intents and purposes, not just a continuation of the franchise. This is a, a total reset and, and, and reboot of the franchise by deliberately, you know, again, you've got the source, great source material, but by by starting out going, this is the start of, of Bond on his double O journey. Yeah, you're doing something that is very common to the comic book side of things. Yeah, and when it happens in in the comics, someone has obviously wanted, wants to, to, to tell a story using these characters and when when miller did it in in dark knight and and in year year one uh he really wanted to 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 take to take batman back to to first principles um they may not have been actual first principles they may have been first principles that that he had had come up with in his own mind of what batman was and what what how how he and how how he came about but he was obviously looking at things that when he was growing up, what he was reading, and uh, he was reading those uh, Neil Adams um, Batmans from the late 60s and the early 70s, which were amazing, which were amazing um, uh, comic books. And not like the sort of like hammy um, stuff that you saw or, or were seeing on the television, which was more like the older version of uh, of Batman from the 50s and 60s. I'm afraid I've gone down a bit of a Batman rabbit hole here, but there is things that you can actually end up coming drawing back to Bond. Um, the the fact that Bond had almost become a pastiche of himself, I think that was the problem with with Die Another, Die Another Day. It lived so much in its past. It referenced everything that had gone on in all in 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 the films beforehand, and as such, it, it got stuck and it it just got got glued up by its own baggage it, it was it had so much that going around in q's office that's all the crap it's got carrying around with it uh and and at least at this one it's not it's lightweight it it, it, it can drive around in a in a ford it it is it is fine it, it could it's it's driving around in a hatchback that's 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 how light this is this film it comes with no baggage whatsoever and that's a great thing about it it, it because it's a reset it allows you to to get hold of Bond, and all right, this isn't Bond from the nineteen fifties. This is not Fleming's original Bond. They do the the great scene is um, when he meets Vesper. It's a great scene because that's where it really defines who he is meant to be. And like, it doesn't really work out with where he goes afterwards. But this whole thing about her her guessing that he he went to. Oxford went to Cambridge okay um so that's still true but didn't come from money well yeah he does come from money but as, and, and as we we find out so whether or not they're trying to make him say like okay look this isn't some kind of Hugh Grant buffoon English gent type that we're used to in films of the late 90s early 2000s this is someone else this is someone who you want to be like you're not not some horrific snob basically um, although he really is. 
So, yeah, it, it is a reset in a certain respect, but it, it tries to redefine Bond. And I think it's very interesting looking back at it now because you look again at, at how they're going to do that next time, how they're going to do that for the next Bond, because they're going to have to say, right, okay, what can we get away with Bond being now? Um, because I think in all this, when it, in all the conversations about who the next Bond should be and about people's ideas and people have got lots of ideas about who the next bond should be and they're all valid ideas they're all valid ideas for a conversation about who should be in charge of a really really strong franchise but when it comes down to it bond is the sort of he is the 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 embodiment of white male privilege and that's that's the thing about it and and really in this day and age this the white male male privilege is being finally found out for what it actually is um and it's not changed in all those years and he's still that craig is still that will the next one be able to get away with that i don't know i mean that's this is where where the, the franchise has got to got to decide where to go but it's not up for people like us to decide it's up for people who are going to be fans in 20 years time that that's who the bond has to look at and be for and there were so so many so many people hated uh, Daniel Craig went when he was given the job, but they were looking at uh, who the Bond should be 10, 20, 30 years beforehand, not who the Bond... Little did they know he was going to still be Bond 15 years late, later, and that's what he needed to be for. And he, and he managed to do that. He managed to take it into the 2020s, and I think he still holds on to that, and I think that's why he got a fifth film, is because he was perfect for it. Yeah, you can see you know the starts of, of why craig is you know fits so well and you know everybody always goes you know every bond or every every time there's a new bond there's always a you know we're going to go back to the roots and, and this is the time where you really feel that that you know the actor has has kind of got the character very very well very quickly and, and terry one other thing i found really interesting watching it this time around, and again, watching, we've, we've talked how some films uh, in the Bond franchise don't necessarily date particularly well. Um, one thing that I found really fascinating in, in this particular film is just how much the young, the, the young Bond's ego crops up. And you have got that kind of, you know, almost acknowledgement that this, this sort of what would now be called toxic masculinity is not necessarily a good thing, but it also probably does make him quite good at his job. But it's the first time where you kind of, re especially in those kind of scenes with, with Vesper as well, it's the first time that you really get a little bit of a sense, actually, and M, um, you get a bit of a sense of, hang on, this is, this is actually kind of having a little bit of a poke at what we think a, a man should be because up to then bond is uh you know bond is meant to be the ideal man here he is by far the ideal man he's a, a very very flawed character with a massive massive ego and and clearly a massive little finger as well um he actually in many ways is exactly like his predecessors yeah he, he, he's he's a he's a he's a perfect well-honed killing machine it's just that the the the, the narrative has shifts in this particular movie where where, where the, the 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 clear character flaws that involve you being a well-honed <laughs> killing machine are, are laid bare and it's it, it, it's it's subtle uh, but it, it's it's there uh, and it, it it alters the tone of 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 the movie and and, and makes you reevaluate the character 
And, and I think that that is a necessary shift. Um, and I, I don't know whether or not it was necessarily a shift that anybody asked for in 2006. But further to Graham's point, I think it is a shift that people are asking for in, 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 in the late 20-teens and, and, and the early 2020s. Uh, and and so I would suggest that in that respect it's quite prescient. Um, you know, I, I think that the, you know a decision has been made to say, look, this guy is not perfect, and this and and the things that he does are, are actually bad. But but and so they 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 paint a picture of a guy who's working for a higher cause, but and has and is having to make significant sacrifices to his personality in order, presumably, to sustain and and justify the horf horrific brutality that he is capable of and one of those things is the inability to be able to form relationships with people inability to have any empathy for the for, for, for people who are either victims of him or consequential victims he seduces this this woman and she ends up getting brutally murdered and 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 it's an awful scene and and judy dench is there m is there to to, to remind him of, of his total lack of humanity which is kind of funny because obviously she's his boss. So, you know, I mean, it's an odd kind of like, you know, HR discussion there, isn't it? So let's talk about your lack of humanity. I was like, well, you know, I do work for MI6 and you are my boss. You told me to, you told me to do this. But, but, but nevertheless, for all that, it, it, it illustrates perfectly to the viewer what kind of a character that James Bond is, is becoming. Um, and, and while, again, at the same time, still being identifiably James Bond, and in, for my opinion, having the characteristics. I think a lot of people, and I think at the time I looked at this and saw this as, as the rounding out of the character, of a character coming of age. Um, and, and, and of course, it, it, the, as the story develops and he develops a relationship, and actually you know, a moderately healthy relationship, a loving relationship with Vesper, we're, we're, we're giving, getting, getting a glimpse of a path that he, that he could be then taking. Uh, only obviously then for it to be literally sort of like blown away from under his feet. Mm. The whole setup, and I, and I, I think this with talking about Casino Royale, you have to kind of talk really about so much of the setup that goes in there. But let's get into the film as well a bit. And, and Graham, one thing that I really wanted to pick up watching this film again, uh, it, it, you know, we did an episode on thrilling cities, and this, this rattles through the locations. Um, but also just aesthetically, it is a beautifully shot film. It's not just a, a piece of disposable, you know, fun that some Bonds can be. It is a the cinematography on this film. Every establishing shot, everywhere it goes, you, you feel like you are in a slightly, um, yeah, you, you feel like you're in a very glossy production here. It, it, you know, but it's gritty at the same time. It's it's a fantastic aesthetic that just goes throughout the whole of the franchise or sets up the franchise for me. No, I, I think what what you, uh, what sums it up is are the scenes in 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 the casino itself, um, where you've got the, the 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 lovely sort of like very expensive setting of the of the of the gaming tables themselves and murders happening in the stairwell. It's it's that sort of way that they that they can can shift from one to the other um very much in the sort of uh sort of films like um casino uh like the casino yeah uh, itself like that 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 sort of like 
shift of, of glitz and glamour and see horrible seediness. Um, it doesn't go to the to the depths that that film does because that's an 18 and this is a 12A. And so it, 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 it keeps that level there. But no, you're right. It, it is very well done. And it's and it's a Bond film. You, you know, immediately looking at it, it's a Bond film. All those those films. I think one of the the one shot that that I, I get is is the one where um, where uh, uh, Le is looking through the net curtains, and I just think that 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 could be a shot from a Bond film twenty years earlier. It it is that sort of look look about it, um, but it so it keeps in that that sort of that sort of Bond vibe. But it it is modernising. It is seeing what is going on in other films at the time. Um, but you're right. It, it it does look look perfect. What what what's what shots do stick out for you then, Gary? Um, I mean, I think mostly it's the it's the opening shots of wherever they establish. You know, Venice towards the end is is yeah. just beautifully shot. That is, you know, even by that stage where you you are, you know, it is a visual feast. This film that that setting into there, obviously, you know, even. You know, the start in, in Madagascar is is again, you know, a very well shot, very kind of taut difference in there. And then you've got Bond going to the Bahamas and, and the Bahamas sequences, you know, obviously a little bit of a throwback to, you know, going going back to the even the Doctor No days of, of where we're kind of set in the in the Caribbean. And that is again, just everything about it is just absolutely gorgeous. And it's really fascinating how they kind of shift the tone for me visually between it's still beautiful but the difference between the bahamas and then you go to miami and it's a very it's a lot more taut and claustrophobic mm. in there but it's still beautifully beautifully no, shot I, to, uh, yeah i mean claustrophobia is, is is a is a great way of describing it really i mean a lot of those shots of uh are, are very 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 tight i'm thinking the, the the scene in body works and things like that where you've got a great crowd scene in there I mean, we've, we've talked about this before with things like um uh, on the Magic Secret Service and things like that, um, and and it's that shift of going from really tight, um, tight shots with lots of people around to big expansive shots like in an airport with a big new plane coming out and things like that. That I think make it work. It, it's it's very much what you're what you're going to see in the. Um, in the sort of like the Avenger strand of the Marvel Comics universe, isn't it? But they don't get the small right in that. It's it's all about the big. It's all about the big and bold and how you can get bigger. But with this one, it, it is it's tight. It's it's people being stabbed, like some like in a crowded space, like like a knife fight in a crowded space. It's just that's that that's so difficult to pull off and and pull off well i mean that that i think is a, it, it's one of the most visceral kills i think i've seen in a bond film when when he when he just like turns the knife around and shoves it into him don't you think terry yeah, the other thing about that particular sequence also is is it is is that there's a, almost a total lack of dialogue going on in that mm. in, in that sequence. Yeah, Everything yeah. is done by pictures. They they do the whole thing without any expositionary dialogue. The audience is there is there to figure it out along with James Bond, and and, and so you're taking the audience with you, uh, and it's a, it's a gripping sequence and culminating. Yeah, actually in a really nice, quite spectacular chase sequence with a really nice little twist at the end so it's a lovely little vignette and it reminds me to a certain degree it is in many ways quite different but 
these these little vignettes in these Craig movies, I think, like in No Time to Die, which is not a film that everybody likes, but but the Cuba sequence, I think, is widely regarded as being one of the best scenes. But it is, it's almost like someone's plonked a 10-minute movie into the middle yeah. of this. It's, it's almost portmanteau-like. And that's what that sequence just feels like. But to be fair, the, 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 there's two parts of this movie, isn't there? It, it, this is towards, this is sort of like the, the build-up to the to the to the showdown in Montenegro, isn't it really? But, and, and you could almost have an intermission, you know, after that sequence, if you, if you wanted to. And I, I think that that's what, it, what I enjoyed so much about watching that was just being caught up in the narrative without necessarily having somebody having to explain to me what's going on. Although there is a bit of that later on in the film, which I think is a, it takes yeah, away a little yeah. bit from it. To I, I think well, the one scene I, I, I like about in the, in the airport about how, the normal ride and what you'll see in later films the the normal sort of like uh, exposition you get is dispensed with halfway through you know when, when he's on the phone to 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 mi6 and and then he just drops it as no it's all right like, exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah i know the rest yeah yeah i'm a clever guy you know yeah. i've done and i've kind of done uh, this before yeah. so I, I i i know the rest it's, it's it's fine and and of course there's no there's no audience to explain it to even though there is mm. and that's that's another uh, an incredibly admirable and plausible film about the film and just makes it authentic and makes it just such a damn fine film mm. Mm. It, it's you know it's it 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 doesn't need feel like it needs to explain what's going on and and you know you're with it on that and I like that as well because again we talk about when Bond goes back to his spy roots he, normally they they're able to get it quite right and this one is you know it is still first and foremost a spy film until once you get to that that kind of beautiful sort of climax in Montenegro. May I just quickly interject, Gary? Um, because just if because I don't know if I'll get the opportunity to talk about it, but there's an establishing shot immediately after the shower sequence, um, uh, which is which is also a really beautiful sequence because it's it's we're seeing we'll probably talk about the relation develop the relationship yeah. between James yeah. and, and Vesper later. But anyway, but then there's this establishing shot immediately afterwards where there's a silhouette of Bond and he's standing by a window with his back to the camera, and just that silhouette is hugely evocative of James Bond artwork that I've seen. And I want to say that it's associated with the comic strip stuff, but I may be wrong about that. It might actually be some of the novel stuff, but it reminded me and it evoked that image of something from probably from my teenage years, maybe either reading the comic, either reading the comic strips or, or watch or reading, reading the old Fleming novels that just sparked me there. And I can't believe it wasn't deliberate. It was, it was, and, and it's, it's all part of the visual cues about reconstructing the, the, the character that we know of James Bond um, it, it, through that. And it's part of that visual journey. And I just wanted to just drop that in there in case we didn't get the opportunity later on. But that's what you get with, with a franchise that is, is 40 years as it was then in. in. You, you get your cinematographers, your, 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 uh, your directors, your everyone your production designers are going to be so steeped in all of bond not just the, the films mm. every every aspect everything that we've grown up mm. looking at and that's and the absorbing. kind of baggage that i like to see yeah oh no 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 sure it. sure that kind of visual aesthetic that visual yeah. heritage that you want to see in ladles as far as i'm concerned oh no no it's 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 robert mcginnis posters it's ken adams drawings it's it's everything isn't it it's, it's all of that stuff that we just lap up and i'm sure that totally. we just uh, do as well 
Yeah, I, I, I think this. So, yeah, the, the throwbacks to Bond as we know of Bond or the, the heritage and history is done differently uh, and, and less explicitly, but all the better for it, I would say. Um, Terry, I wanted to pick up on something that you you kind of talked about, about the, the vignettes um, that come in. And, and, you know, the Miami sequence, everybody knows, the, remembers the Casino Royale sequence. The Miami sequence is, is also just fantastic. It's a brilliant chase. But you look at it, this film, and one thing that struck me that was really interesting, and I was reading a bit of uh, a bit of uh, cultural criticism on the internet, dangerous thing to do, I know. <laughs> um, but somebody kind of basically made an argument that you, you've essentially got three movies in here. You've got... Um, you know, you've got the start off, which is almost like a pre-credit sequence. You know, you could easily imagine that the the chase through Madagascar as a, as a Bond short. And then you've got the actual meat of the film, which is Casino Royale. And then they've said the last sort of 20 minutes, half an hour is essentially the start of Quantum of Solace that you're <clears> watching. And, and actually, you could probably end it after a certain bit and then start Quantum of Solace in the last 20 minutes of Bond. And I thought that's a, you know, it, it fits well because, yes, the film hangs together fantastically. But it is a very kind of sliced up film in terms of every kind of setup. It moves it moves along, rattles along, still at a great pace for, for a movie that's two and a half hours. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting you know, an interesting take on it and one that I could certainly kind of get on board with because it, it, it is a, you know, there's, there's shifts throughout the whole film. It, it really does. I, I, I mean, and it shifts particularly in the final stanza of the movie, the final reel uh, after, after the unpleasantness in the torture chamber. Because then, because I, I remember when I watched it for the first time, I was thinking, well, we're coming towards the end of this, we're coming towards the end of the film, aren't we? And I'd kind of, because it had been so long since I read the book that I had forgotten the fact that it goes on a bit longer than that as the, as the the whole thing with with Vesper goes on and and I I watched it and I thought God this how long much longer is this film going on for and I and it, and it felt it it felt somewhat disjointed from the rest of the movie but I think a lot of that is quite simply because. Tonally, it just changed. Narratively, it just completely changed. I mean, it, 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 you know, this was suddenly the we were exploring the relationship between James and Vesper. We were exploring their love. We were you know, experiencing, you know, the, the love and, and and the joy of of a new relationship, which is a wonderful thing. And 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 you know, that just seemed and felt like some so different from the rest of the movie. Um, it's only something that I felt I think at the time the first time of watching it works much much more seamlessly now but I think that it is it is worth is worth noting but yeah absolutely it's it's a film that uh, could conceivably have if it had been fleshed out a bit more it could it could have been a TV show of six parts or something like that that would not have been anywhere near as good (laughs) as as the as the movie but it but it, it could have they could have done it if they really wanted to Mm, it's it, it really you know it, it's it, it, you're on for quite a wild ride so you know we've talked to you know i'm sure there's other bits and pieces we want to get in but i i i know that we really need to get into the uh the characters as well and and you've got to say graham that you know bond can obviously kind of live or die to a certain extent in terms of you know whether it hangs together but but the casting can be really really crucial as well um and you've got you know craig's bond who who you know, is a screen presence that maybe not many people thought he would would have had. But then you're up against um, Mads Mikkelsen, who is a, is a superb 
screen presence. And then Eva Green, who, you know, I, I know was actually cast very, very late in the day, very, very close to filming. And yet you cannot imagine anybody quite more perfect for, for that role of Vesper Lind. No, not at all. Not at all. And, and fans of the book would have been eager to see who they would have chose uh, for, for Vesper. And of course, you would have looked back and thought, thought because this is one of the characters that is right up there. This is this is up there with Tracy as far as importance to Bond. And so, you're you're going on the on the back of forty years of 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 important Bond girls, and this one has got to be done absolutely right. And it is, and it is done perfectly. It's updated. She's not as much of a simp as as Vesper is in in the book, um, but and she she is strong. She has agency, or, or we think she has agency. Um, but and then it turns out that that well, we don't know her as well as as, as we think we do. Uh, even now, we don't know what her motives really were. Were they were uh, uh, there is an ambiguity to her throughout the whole of 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 the. Um, of, of, of the of the franchise of 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 the Craig franchise of, of the Craig films, uh, which and and you get that sort of closure at the end because I think yeah, even in that that scene at no at no time to die where he admits that he that he misses her and and the, the fact that he still obviously like, like was no matter what he said afterwards that he still loved her and and that was in, that's important there's that that closure there but you still have that that feeling that 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 she's there hanging there and that's how she should be because that's that that's that's the, the character Ava Grand was so so well cast for this um by luck more than judgment um but then i think a lot of the of of the the, the great uh, bond girls have been late casts my mind has gone blank at the moment to, to, to think of an example, but if you look back at them, yeah, they're, they're, they're not—they're not always the most sort of like forward-thinking when it comes to casting their, their their biggest roles. But she makes it work. She makes it work really well. And I'm trying to think if it's more about the script or the way or what she brings. I mean, obviously, she brings she brings a, a very polished performance to it, but she's allowed it because she's got the script that backs it up. So many Bond girls don't get the script. They don't get the lines. She does. And and there is a wonder that is a wonderful scene on the train. Spoiled by the by the watch line. But <laughs> um I, we could all go yeah yeah oh, when that, that line comes around um, but uh, I, I think it, it uh, in, in many respects I, I like to look at that and think well this shakes you this this, this, this makes you reminds you you're in a Bond film you're not in some lovely lovely, lovely, lovely piece of cinema you're still in a Bond film it's still got things to sell um, <laughs> but no she, she's brilliant she's complex everything about her works and and it works in in a way that that you you don't expect because she's pissed off with him for most of the film <laughs> utterly you look at an expression on her face and she's absolutely livid for most of the film and which makes it even better uh and i think the 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 way she reacts and as well um the her, the interplay that that she has with uh, Giancarlo Giannini as well, um, they without they work really well as as a pair, and and I think it's, uh, uh, 
she she nails Vesper, and that's that's always important. If they were ever to remake, um, on a Magic Secret Service, they would tie themselves in knots trying to cast Tracy, it, because it would be almost impossible to do it now. Mm. Um, but they managed it with that by by luck rather than 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 judgment. But they got Vesper right, and they needed to get Vesper right because Vesper is. Is I think the most important character that 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 Fleming creates, the most important female character, um, and often in the films, the female characters that he does create are less than toned down a hell of a lot for the films. You think of people like Tiffany Case, even Pussy Galore, mm. about how they how they they they're really toned down to how they are in the books, but they get Vesper. They they get they improve Vesper uh, as far as I'm concerned and and Vesper's an important character but but Ava Grant just nails it perfectly. Yeah, the 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 script everything sort of comes together so well into there and and, and Terry you know we we talk about you know the the interplay between you know Daniel Craig and, and Eva Green as well and I think you know it's credit to her that when you come into that opening you know the opening sequences of of no time to die and you know the 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 kind of aftermath of uh of of the uh of the chaos at vesper's grave and uh, and bond walking away from madeline swan you don't have had to sink scene around to, to kind of get that sequence but the the depth that is brought from this movie that is still felt you know 15 years later odd years later in um, you know, in Craig's final outing, that's you know not at the time we obviously didn't know where where the franchise was going to go into that way. Could have you know quite easily just gone back into invisible cars, which would have been unlikely. Let's be fair, but you you are sort of got some. You've got a character that is is able to be there and not be there for pretty much every other single Bond film, and that's quite something to pull off. Uh, and they would have probably, I don't know how much they kind of, the, the producers and, and Broccoli, Broccoli and Wilson thought about going forward, but they would have known that there would have been been something in there. There would have been the lingering, uh, the lingering elements of Vesper, at least throughout the sort of next movie, if not the one after that. And, and they knew that they didn't want to uh, just brush it off by dropping the antagonist down a, a chimney. <laughs> <laughs> Vesper's legacy through the rest of the Daniel Craig films was entirely dependent on 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 the strength of of the relationship and the with 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 Bond, the chemistry between Eva Green and um and Daniel Craig and indeed you know the performance of 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 Eva Green. I won't add more to what Graham said about Eva Green's performance. <clears throat> it was as close to immaculate as you can possibly get. Um, uh, just to just just to say that. But the, the, the nature of the relationship is an interesting one because it, it is, Graham's right to point out that she's really angry with, 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 with James Bond for, for much of the, of the time. Um, but their love is based upon violence, sadly. And that's, the, that's I think, the, the, the tragedy of it is, is that it's based upon on, on, the, on the least firm foundations as possible. The, the metaphor being at the very, very end, when in fact it only takes a couple of gunshots to just completely collapse that building that they're all in. This is a metaphor for the relationship, sadly. It's all based on passion, on, on, on raw, authentic emotion and love, but on, in many ways, two people are incapable 
of committing, of seeing through that love with each other, then unable to commit to each other. Him because he's a psychopath, <laughs> a maladjusted psychopath, and her because she's carrying this huge guilt, this huge weight, this blackmail, this this a reluctant spy against her employers and against people that she's formed relationship because because of, of, of a previous relationship. And she has having to carry that with her. And we get to see Daniel Craig, we get to see James Bond's journey in this film <clears throat> and in subsequent films, but we never get to see Vesper's journey or we only get to hear about it. And that adds to the utter tragedy and the, the tragedy of their relationship. They get closer together in that shower scene. Why? Because Eva Green is traumatised because she's probably witnessed, well, at the time, we think because she's probably witnessed murder for the first time. That's what we're thinking at the time, as it turns out. She's probably just reliving previous trauma. Um, but, and, and so we never really get a handle on her. And that's the tragedy of the character. That's the glory of the character and why she's such, such a great character. But whether or not that would have resonated through the, other, through the subsequent movies depends entirely upon the performances of the actors and upon the quality of the script and the direction and the strength of the film. And it's yet another reason why the film is superior. Mm, it, it really, really is. And then you've got the other, the other bit of the uh, the triumphant, which is which Graham is is Mads Mikkelsen. And again, this, I mean, this is a role that I kind of feel that in the wrong scriptwriter or the wrong actor could have, you know, is it wouldn't have completely killed the movie you know we've seen that you know we talked a lot about on a majesty secret service that that the interplay between telly savalas and diana rig were and and having that and having those two really good actors on screen compensated for the lazing piece um deficiencies there, there are obviously very little in terms of deficiencies in here but but the chiffre is a, is an interesting character within himself because he's he's a He's a very, very unpleasant person, but it's also established very, very early on that this is not a man who necessarily is cut from the same cloth as other villains because he is essentially just a glorified middleman. Yeah, totally. And and very much he is the Le Chiffre of, of the books. He is basically the accountant, the guy, the guy that that has got all the dirt he's he's he knows where the bodies are buried and uh, and he plays that really well um it, 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 physically he's not the same as the Schiefer from the Schiefer is a is a dumpy overweight uh, individual uh, whereas Mads Mikkelsen has enormous amounts of screen presence makes him a wonderful foil a wonderful counter to 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 Craig's Bond he looks more like Bond than the Bond does um, which is, I think, a great counterpoint, and I think that's part of the reason why they why they chose him because because of that, um, and he's got this this great feel about it. it, it the, the one thing that that about the casting in 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 this film is that they they do what Bond films have done forever. They they cast from Europe. They cast big stars from Europe um, of Euro, European uh, cinema. And and it gives it that exotic feel because they they bring different styles, different uh, and it's because you've got established screen actors who you've never seen before as well, or you may have seen in bits in other films, but really, I mean, I, I don't think I'd seen him in anything else before I'd seen him in this, um, and and he was brilliant in it, and he's he's got all the little ticks, all the the the, the thing that 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 
Bond villain has, and the fact that the, the fact that he's a poker player as well, he's got this real deadpan uh, expression and delivery um, that works so well for the character, and of course it works even better when it's done across a card table as well. Um, there's there's nothing of this of this sort of like. Uh, other thing, uh, for, when you've seen seen Bonds at, at card tables in previous films, they, they, there's always been a bit more of the. Well, you, you you see it, don't you? You see it in the early stages in in in, in the um, in the first time he's at a card table, where you see this is more what generally happens when Bond fleeces someone. Someone panics and and they make stupid bets, uh, and then you've got the Shifu because it turns up and he he can he knows the odds better than than, than Bond does. Uh, and but the the thing that really carries it forward is there's the line about it where it really brings it up to date and it and then it really sort of lends the sort of the sort of modern world view that we're all aware of and the fact that the whole thing about this film is that they want to get him they they need him alive they want him because there's a bigger picture involved here and that's why mm. They won't care if Bond dies because they want him. The Sheaf is worth more to MI6 than Bond is, and that's that's a really that's something you haven't seen before in in a Bond film, and it's a very very unpleasant, very jarring situation. And yeah, it should be the end of the film, but of course they do stick with it. And you're right, the that that bit at the end, as soon as, that 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 first scene in in Venice. Should be the start of of Quantum of Solace, but it's not. Uh, in, in much in the same way as the as the uh, on the Magic Secret Service doesn't finish with the car going off at the end of the wedding. It, it, it is yeah. We're coming back. I've, I've said on the Magic Secret Service a lot here, uh, and well, with good calls, I guess, really. But. Um, well, they correct that. They fix that in No Time to Die, though, don't they? Yes. No time. To, yeah, they fix that in No because because they drive off together at the end of Spectre. Yeah. And then yeah, and then then we get so so in a previous iteration of Spectre, that sequence at the beginning of No Time to Die <laughs> might have actually happened at the end of Spectre. Yeah. And that, yeah. that which which might have made it a little bit more interesting film. I but suppose. you're right. Um, that anyway. whole Matera scene is the Venice scene all over again, isn't it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because it because it also demonstrates that, that that Bond, in terms of emotional and his emotional connections, as as, as still his instinct is to to run. Yeah. <laughs> so he just like puts her on a train and just like then disappears. Yeah. You know, uh, and and that he really hasn't travelled very far at all emotionally as a character in that time. But we can explore that when we when we get to No Time to Die. Yes, yes, we will. We will. Oh yes, I'm looking forward to that one. It's as a, a... growth, though, guys. Mm. This is the film. This is the thing about this film is is there's 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 the not necessarily growth, but there's development, character development. You don't get that in James Bond films, or you get a little bit in James Bond films. Goldeneye's got a bit of character character development in it. You know, a, a, the idea of a character arc. You know, you know, an emotional journey. Just. Not, not, not something that you associate with James Bond, and it's what elevates this film. It's what makes this film a proper film rather than a good Bond film. It makes it a really good film. That's why it's that's why it's so good. Is because it's got a heartbeat. Yeah, it's got a soul. As long as she presses the button, it's got a heartbeat. Otherwise, you know, get get that lead back in. Otherwise, you know, it's flatlining, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That- 
that is one of the the you know there's so many great sequences like we could easily easily i think spend another hour talking about all the the great bits that we want to kind of pick out from the sequences in there but the, just to, to kind of carry on a little bit from um from the the talk that we've had on the Shifra, there's for me one of the i don't always say it, it's 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 a it's a it's a lovely scene because it's a horrible scene it's the torture scene that that kind of sits in there and you've got two fantastic actors and they really bring across that bit of they're actually in the complete desperation mm. phase both of them bond at that stage probably knows this is it he is probably going to die at that stage and he's prepared for it and you've got that bit where the Shifra looks up and just goes you're not going to tell me are you and you can just see that that's all you need it's almost like they suddenly share a moment of of actually yeah there's a lot that brings us together well um they're still and, at the card and, table yeah. aren't they yeah they yeah. are it's exactly it's, they're yeah. still at the card table yeah they're yeah. still psyching each other yeah, out. It's the card all table. the emotion that, that that has been bubbling under has now just just because they're in a dark room together on their own. Well, and, and one of them naked and tied to a chair. Then <laughs> then it, it all comes out. It, it's amazing what what you need to do. But you, what you need to do, you need to do, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's um and and Terry, it's it's you know it's one of those scenes. And again, it it you've got the. The stuff at the, um, you know, you've got everything shot at the card table, which is superb. You know, they, they carry that all the way through. But I think probably if you asked a lot of people to try and name a scene who've seen Casino Ralph, that rather brutal torture scene is probably the one that will come to mind because it is such, it's so hard to forget. It is the signature scene of the film, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah, because it is just so brutal. Uh, there is, uh, I'll, I'll quote from a, 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 another podcaster that recently uh, finished a James Bond radio. I remember once listening to those guys talk about a time they went to see Casino Royale and there were a couple of teenage lads a few seats down from them. And through most of the film, they're kind of doing what teenage lads do. And that's like not really pay too much attention. They're taking the piss and they're sort of like having a bit of a laugh. They get to that scene. <laughs> they are like just utterly, utterly gribbed. And it is, it's compelling. Of course it is, because the, the whole setup is, is is hugely compelling. But it isn't just gratuitous violence. It, 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 it's, it is, it's as, as, as we said, it, it, the paper... No, it isn't just... It is gratuitous violence, but it's not just gratuitous violence. It, it's, it, it's, the, it's, yes, a continuation of the game. Only the thing is, is that, you know, they've just dispensed with the niceties. And again, it is, it, it's, it's, again... Marrying violence close to gambling, I think, is also a really, really important <laughs> thing, particularly institutionalised and organised gambling. The glitz yeah. and glamour of that, and it's not the first, not the first film to do that. It's a very, no. very common, common trope, uh, and it's, and it's a because it's, it's an accurate one, um, and it, and and it does, it's, and I mean, Le Chiffre has gambled. He's not just gambled at the poker table. The reason why he's at the poker table to begin with is because he's gambled. He's and he's gambled with dangerous people's money. And he is terrified. He's going to. He thinks he's going to not only going to die, but he's going to die badly as well. And as Graham points out, Bond, on the other hand, he knows what's, what 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 his role in this is. He knows that his job basically is to deliver Le Chief, irrespective of whether he lives or dies, and knowing whether or and it doesn't matter what his employers. They don't care. 
He has the delivery Shalashif, and this is what he's doing. And the longer he stays alive, and the longer he's, li- he's living in Shalashif's head, the longer there is of the opportunity of that he gets that he gets picked up. Of course, it's not MI6 that pick him up; it's the it's it's the bigger picture as well. But that's all what's going on in there, and what's what makes that scene crackle even more so is because you know the game is still going on, and that's what's just so amazing about it. And there's that moment when he's no, he, his guard slips because he hears Vesper mm. screaming, yeah. and then he, and and then he's you know you could feel he's going, and, and but he knows he's not going to say anything. He's going to let them do whatever they were going to do, and 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 that's the because that's the mission, and then that's of course is the inherent flaw between them, alas. So there's tons going on in that sequence. Oh, God. Uh, but everyone, of course, is just thinking about... And in the meantime, this guy's bollocks are getting smashed to pieces by, a, by, by, by this rope. So, you know, it couldn't really be more intense. <laughs> it genuinely couldn't. <laughs> no wonder that he needs to use his little finger because I doubt whether there's much else working down there at that point in time. <laughs> um, Graham, you've, you've obviously got the brutality. The other thing that I'd also just like to pick out, which... Again, struck me on Casino Royale that I hadn't necessarily appreciated quite as much is that because you, I, I, and I suspect this is probably because you've got Martin Campbell in the chair, there's actually a lot more humour behind it than I, I thought there would be. It, again, it's a lot of dark, but there is there is certainly a levity that can kind of come in and just break things up, which I don't think you necessarily see in the Sam Mendes films at all. I think Martin Campbell has got a much better handle on the little bits of Roger that very, very occasionally surface into this film, which Sam Mendes is, is, you know, I, I doubt whether he's probably, you know, Sam Mendes is not a man who I think would have watched the man with the golden gun. <laughs> uh, no, he's, as, as we said on this podcast, he's only ever watched one film and that's, uh, that's from, from Russia with love. That's the only one he's seen. Yeah. I, I try to think, about the humour in in this, there is there are bits of it, and and I think it's it, obviously it's situational humour rather than the 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 nim raising an eyebrow at the camera or or double taking pigeon pigeons. Um, that, uh, but Judy Dench, uh, there, there are a lot of laughs that are, are there. Well, like when he breaks into her when, when he breaks into her flat, that that's actually a really really uh, funny scene. Um, where I mean, basically, like you know, he's he 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 is two steps ahead of her, and and that's that's always quite quite a funny thing, isn't it? I think when 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 you've got the drop on your boss, uh, and I think we we can all appreciate that, um, and it it gives her more depth because she's there in a in a comedic role, and and the timing in that, of course, is perfect because you've got two incredible actors in 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 there in that scene uh and it it sort of makes you think that the the fact that they do get a lot of screen time together is 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 really does help that first couple of those first couple of acts in there it's a shame she's not used later on but that does give the other characters a chance to 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 shine and she gets she gets all all the screen time in the in the in the films going going forward. So so we are left wanting more there. But you're right; it does have those moments of levity in there. Um, some of them are a bit more sort of uh, 
heavy-handed. I bit like, you know, the oh, that last hand almost killed me. Uh, yeah, all right. It's it's it, it's it's a nice bondish thing to say, and um, you're delivering it in the way that Dalton would have, would have delivered it, rather than the the, the more. And and perhaps because of the of the nature of the film, you had to do it that way because there's no other way of doing it. So it, it is more a question of not getting a laugh. It's more a question of making him feel like a dick, which I suppose is more what he's really doing there. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's I Casino Royale for me and and Terry. I think it's probably no surprise that whenever you are you know you see any lists of the best Bond films ever, well, you know, as we know, going through the World Cup of Bonds, um, what some time back now, um, and I'm amazed we can remember that, to be honest, but, uh, you know, a lot of record it, to be fair, so. We did, yes. I mean, you know, I'm sure it was a, a wonderful ride for listeners as well, after <laughs> however many bottles of port. But, um, yeah, it's no surprise, Terry, that there is, a just how much this will always feature towards the top of any bond ranking list might not always necessarily top it some people have different views than others but this is you you, to me watching it over and over again you can't make an argument that this is is anything other than a top five Bond film and possibly even a top three Bond film. At that point, you probably start getting more into to personal preference. But um, you can you can see why this film is just heralded as as one of the best of the franchise. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's a it's a really good actual film. As I said before, it's 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 not necessarily just a good James Bond film, you know. Moonraker's a good James Bond film, but even I would have difficulty arguing that it's a good film. You know, what am I saying? It's a fucking brilliant film. But, um... <laughs> and finally, the words, Moonraker is not a good film, has come out of somebody's mouth that's not mine. But, but, but I mean, Casino Royale is... is it, it, it's a, one of these films that has opened the door to a different audience as well. And I would suggest to you that an awful lot more female James Bond film, film, films now exist. And again, this is not just because of the, of the, of the romance of it, but also the, the fact that you know, James Bond was portrayed as a human being um, and that there was growth and there was depth in the story and in the characters and in the situations that I think appealed more than just are just sort of like your your normal James Bond demographic, um, and, and so I, I think that that's why the film again that's what elevates the film above most of the rest of it. I think there is a there is a strong argument to say that this is objectively the best James Bond film that has ever been made, just because all the pieces fit. Brilliant direction, brilliant casting, brilliant script writing, brilliant cinematography. It captures that moment. It gets all the best. It's got the right influences. It's got the right balance. It's it, it it's a great plot. It rattles it rattles through. Probably it's a really good, solid, interesting action film with a degree of depth and 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 with the, with a degree of substance. Not too much, just about right. And it gets it all of those ingredients right. And it still looks absolutely immaculate as a, as a production. Yes, yes, from Rush with Love did actually win the World Cup of James Bond films. But that was a subjective decision. 
based on on our love of the of 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 the franchise and of the films as a whole and our prerogative of Bond fans. But I would suggest if you were sit down with a bunch of film critics and ask them which is the best James Bond film that's been that ever been made, they I think a good number of them would probably sell would probably say Moonraker. Sorry, Casino Royale. <laughs> it is, yeah. I, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we we were not bribed by Sam Mendes <laughs> as the uh, as the best Bond film ever. Um, but yeah, this is you know, and I, I think Graham, as we kind of come towards with summing up, I mean, it's interesting that Terry brought in Moonraker because one of the the jokes that we I think we've continually had in this podcast is pretty much every film after after Moonraker has been like, yeah, it's good, but it would have benefited from more Chris Wood. This is probably not a film that would have benefited from Chris Wood. Oh, I don't know. Ooh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, yeah, what, what, what's, what's her code name? Uh, was it Broadchester, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. That's got, that's got Chris Wood <laughs> written all over a, it, isn't it? Not <laughs> to Chris Wood there, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Bit of slap and tickle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Chris, Chris Wood, the spirit of Chris Wood lives on very subtly throughout uh, Castina Real in that one particular scene. Now, it, I mean, again, as we kind of get towards stuff, Graham, it, it's, um, it's so... Like, you know, obviously we, we, we speak of this as, you know, from the franchise as a, as a place that we love and also as a, a film that we love. But um, even when you're objectively, it's really hard to, to, you know, you could any issues that you've got with the film. And, and I think potentially you could argue again, as, as, as we have said, that you could have ended the film not long after the, the torture scene and put Venice onto Quantum of Solace. Uh, and then you've got an, a you know something actually which is quite quite interesting as well. Um, but it's really hard to pick apart many flaws in this film. No, really hard. Certainly, certainly. I, I think the the only flaws that it has are the flaws that that Fleming put in there in the first place. Um, the fact that the it 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 goes on is because that's what the book does. The book does that exactly, and so. Um, you see that he never does that again in in the in 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 the books that he writes. Um, you, you get films, you get books like On a Magic Secret Service, which are done in that sort of in that that more predictable sort of way, that that sort of big heavy ending, um, and everything builds up towards that. But I think other than that, yeah. You know, I, I struggle to think of anything that I don't like about this film. Does that make it my favourite Bond film? No, it doesn't, because I've got emotional attachment to other Bond films, and that's that's what puts it ahead of it. And as, as Terry says, you you bring your own whatever whatever made you fall in love with Bond, then you know it, it, it's always going to have that 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 um, that thing that's going to override it. Yeah, if you bring in a load of people who I get paid to do this for a living, then of course they might just say say Casino Royale because it's got everything in the right place. Um, but then again, they don't really love Bond. So what does their opinion amount, uh, amount to, eh? Mm. This is very true. It's very true. I, I, I'd say there's some expositionary dialogue um, in the card sequences, Mathis and, uh, <laughs> and, and Vesper, which 
I don't think they needed to do that. I think that again, you know, they demonstrated how they can how they can tell stories without dialogue earlier in the movie. I think they could have had a little bit more confidence in themselves to have done that. But really, this is pretty thin gruel when it comes to criticism. I've got to be honest. A movie without Basil exposition. It, it is. I think it. Yeah, you're right. It is. But you know, I. I think that Giancarlo Giannini does an excellent sort of John Virgo on on it, doesn't he, really? (laughs) He needs to get this pink and the next two reds in order to put the frame safe. (laughs) Oh, he's missed the pink. He won't be happy with that. (laughs) See, Casino Royale is a snooker game now. (laughs) (laughs) I've just had a thought, an alternative universe where you swap out, uh, swap, swap, not even actors, but you put John Virgo to do that role. (laughs) John Virgo's Mathis. Now, we've got (laughs) We're moving into Kevin McClory territory here. Be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Bond! Mr. Bond! <laughs> Don't say you wouldn't pay to see Casino Royale, the Virgo cut. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got me there, Gary. No, I, I, reckon, I reckon I might see I might pay to see that. Yeah, uh, yeah, just as long as we've got a Captain Sensible theme tune as well. <laughs> oh, dear. So we may have lost some of our listeners at this point because we're, we're these are fairly deep cut 80s cultural references. <laughs> Although John Virgo still still going strong, uh, uh, you know, uh, commentating on the snooker to this day. But uh, but yeah yeah yeah. If you're a, if you're outside the UK, you may be struggling with some of our cultural references here. So we're not going to explain them. You have to figure it out for yourself. Hey, where I mean, what Wikipedia's bit... for? Come on, <laughs> <laughs> Terry Terry, the odd job podder currently explaining cultural references from the 1980s. Not just cultural references, but you could easily say. This is, this this film the card scene is as tense as the classic nine was it the eighties snooker final between Hendry and Davis was it or um, Davis and Taylor then Taylor yes that's it well also yeah, as well um, was it Davis and Higgins as well wasn't it that was that was quite tense as well wasn't it that one I need very very little persuasion to turn the odd drop pod into uh, into snooker so snooker at this chat. point I'm pretty sure <laughs> that Terry oh, will Christ eighties Dave behind. well pop black we'll make it. Pop black. So so okay. So all right. So every other right. So so it's a James Bond. Then it's uh, a, a, a underrated action movies, and then it's old episodes of Pop Black from YouTube. Well, just go on a road. At, at least you get get the opportunity to put the theme to to uh, to Pop Black uh, under this conversation, don't you? Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've come. Given that we've now moved into, we're now talking in, about something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> into snooker. <laughs> Which, to be fair, I'm pretty sure we could probably fill an entire podcast with snooker as well if you really wanted us to, <laughs> uh, as, as our added Easter egg here. We won't. Um, Graham, I'll, I'll first to you to, to round up. Um, just, like, what makes Casino Royale so, so good? Right. What makes it so good, uh, other than the stuff we've already talk, talked about? Um <laughs> Uh, say it again yeah i have to say it again (laughs) another hour and a half of this (laughs) um it i think it's because it it is all right although it completely resets everything it is still bond and it is perfectly bond there are things that it does differently 
but it still captures the essence of Bond. And it shows you how adaptable the uh, the whole idea of Bond is. And that's why it should give you um, optimism that going forward, they can do it and it, it can be done right. Of course, we've seen where Bond has taken maybe a, a, a turn that it shouldn't have gone or it's played safe and gone with what it knows and and it never works this is a, a this is a film where they do make a change and it works really 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 well and to go with martin campbell's other film golden eye i think he, he could be so proud of those two two films in in the whole of the franchise i think that for me those are in the top six seven films uh, the, uh, in, in that in that those are films i will pick up and watch and although we've said you know that that the, this this isn't a flawless film by by any any uh stretch none of them are but they come at you at the right time i really love this film when it comes out I still love it. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it on the big screen quite a few times as well. Went to see the uh, uh, the secret cinema as well. Um, that was a great experience. It was lovely, sort of like immersive uh, uh, watching of, of of the film, which which I really loved. And and I will probably of the Craig films. This will probably be the next one I see as well. I only watched it Sunday. I'll watch it again. Probably be the next one of his films that I'll watch, uh, just because it's so good. Mm -hmm. and, and Terry, yeah, I mean, like, again, it, it's, you know, I think objectively we, we would say that uh, the, the Craig era films are probably better than the Brosnan era films, but it, it does a very similar thing in Brosnan, uh, doesn't it? That it, you know, we've got, a, we've got a, a decent set of, you know, some, some films which are liked more than others that follow it, but um, it's still probably the strongest entry uh, in, in this particular actor's bond. It is, but... My relationship with this film is different to Graham's. I've seen Skyfall more than I've seen Casino Royale. <laughs> That's because I'm a deeply vacuous and emotionally immature man. <laughs> and I just prefer to watch <laughs> I can't handle the emotional intensity that comes with Casino Royale, so I watch Skyfall instead. It's just a lot more fun. <laughs> so, um, so there you go. I mean, I've just said before, and I can't. I mean, you know, it is objectively the better film. It's a good. It's a. It's a magnificent work. Uh, it, Graham says it's. It's. It's not flawless, but I mean, it's pretty close too. And mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's. It's. It's a decent engine to anyone's top ten. You know, I would say um, it, it's. It's a. It's a glorious film. It's a fantastic. It, it benefits from the source material. And that's something that they're going to have to think very closely about for the next one, because they won't have the benefit of Casino Royale to fall back on it, to provide yeah. that narrative rigor yeah. to b b b when they're rebuilding it. They're going to have to come up with a, probably a story all of their own, or they're going to have to be really bold and start retelling, you know, some of the other novels. I, I don't and I have no idea who knows what they'll do. So so it does benefit from that. Let's let's be clear. Uh, and, and it's a testimony to the glory that is Ian Fleming's books. And if you are listening to this and have not read the Ian Fleming James Bond novels, for goodness sake, stop what you're doing in about five or six minutes and, and, and pick, go and, and get, get Casino Royale, read the book, read, the, doesn't, don't bother reading them in sequence, just read, just pick one up and read them. They are beautifully written. They're, in, they're incredibly intense, fantastic stories, incredibly visceral. 
You know, you will not regret it. They're a bit of their time, and the more recent versions, as rather controversially, you know, have have been ever so slightly rewritten, ever so slightly rewritten. But I haven't, while I've not read those new versions, I can almost guarantee that they'll have nothing to do with the central purpose of the book, the central plot. They won't interfere with your enjoyment of these things, and I think people are just being a bit silly by by if they open it up to an even bigger audience and absolutely happy days so so use this as an opportunity to go and read some some ian fleming because it will enhance your appreciation of the james bond films even more and of james bond even more because it will flesh things out anymore and 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 that is that is something that i i think is is worth saying uh here 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 uh, I'd, I'd just add to that dan stevens audio version of it is really good um i really enjoyed that yes yeah yes Yes, it is. So there's your homework, listener. Um, we, as we come to an end, and, and we will... Um, I was actually thinking about this as Graham was talking and what's my most watched Craig film. Um, and mine is very, very surprisingly. And this is probably the uh, ICV4 slash Nine Gem effect, but I've probably seen Quantum of Solace more. Of than most you have. Partly because it's just been on TV when I flicked on and gone... You know what? I'll sit down and watch this, and it's not a long film, so I, I kind of know that I can quite. It, it's like match the day of, of Bond films. I can put it on late at night, and I'll drop off to sleep. <laughs> the end of it. Match of the day, <clears> pop <throat> black, any other short format sports program you, 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 yeah. you, you want to think about as well before we go out. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, by the way. My my two colleagues also do a football podcast. If you are not familiar with it, so if if, if you want to if you want to move from balls being wrecked to actual balls being kicked, then uh, you des- you should check out the sound of football. I don't think we've ever really done cross promotion, but but so given we're talking balls quite a lot on this podcast, I feel that that's uh, that's only needed. So uh, it just remains for me to say, uh, listen, if you've not watched Casino Royale in a, a long time, do it. If you have, go and read the books if you haven't, or at least go to the audio book. Um, the Odd Job Pod will be back with Quantum of Solace, which I think will be a very interesting discussion. I'm actually surprisingly quite looking forward to that one because I think there will be a lot that we will be unpicking in that. But for now, I just uh, need to say thank you to uh, to Graham Sibley and Terry DeFollin, and uh, thank you to you, dear listener, for tuning in. The Odd Job Pod will be back. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. The podcast is ending now. Snookering you, snookering you tonight. Big break.